0: this is Amy Kathleen and you're listening to Inside the Collective Podcast. I love being able to showcase and celebrate the most impressive women doing wildly inspiring things. They're the dreamers, the doers, the courageous ones willing to take that flying leap of faith. I'm so glad that you're here because their stories are the ones you won't want to miss. Thanks for being here and joining us and for letting us be part of your day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our 50th and final episode of our third season. Whether you're a regular, new to this show, or new to podcast in general, I am so crazy happy that you're listening right now. You have picked the jackpot of all episodes. As I prepared this episode, I thought about who would enjoy this episode, and I started to jot down a list and then it got really long. So the bottom line is this episode is for you. It hits on all levels. And I know this story will impact and enrich your life in a phenomenally great way. So I got a chance to meet today's guest through a mutual friend earlier this year. And to be honest, y'all, I could tout her and her mission all day long. It's so great. Today, we're talking with Dana Donafrey. She was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 27, and she is the founder and CEO of Ana Ono Intimates. After a long career in fashion, she launched Ana Ono, the first Intimates line designed specifically for patients and survivors who have undergone breast surgeries and reconstruction due to a breast cancer diagnosis or to even prevent one. So both Dana and her company, get this, have been featured by Today People, Goop, Vogue, GMA, Huffington Post, and so, so many more. So you get the picture. Everyone is on board supporting the fantastic mission that she's on and the legacy that she's creating. At Anna Ono, their bras are designed to fit you. No matter who you are, no matter your story, they believe that you should have a bra that fits your unique shape. And as our website states, Anna Ono, designed differently because we are and because different is beautiful. Thank you again for joining us today. This is going to be such a really great listen, and make sure that you tune in at the very end because Dana and I have put together something pretty special just for you. Hey, Dana, how are you doing today? So great to have you here.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for including me in my story. It's awesome.
0: Oh, it's such a good story, though. I mean, I, I tell you, I have talked about you probably So many times since I first got to know you and your story is incredible and what you're doing, it's just um, I love hearing those entrepreneurial stories that it's connected to a close personal experience where you just noticed a gap in the market and uh, and took advantage of it and then worked your tail off. (laughs) And it's just really cool to be able to see like, where you've come, where you're at, and just the story. Um, So again, just thanks for being here. And I am going to say that, you know, you and I and Lori Bush did one of the most amazing podcast series on the Beauty Construct. Um, That's honestly probably one of the biggest highlights of just this podcasting world that I've been in so far. Um, it was so much fun being able to do that three-part series with y'all. And so I'm going to encourage everyone listening. I'm going to link it in the show notes to go and listen to those episodes because you get to hear the backstory. You get to hear both of your stories and then what you've built from it and then the collaboration that's taking place and how other people who are surrounding and supporting those who are fighting the breast cancer journey um, you know, how best to serve them. So it's just such a cool thing. Um, but before we kind of dive into you and Ana Ono and how you've created this beautiful company, I would love for you to just kind of give us a little snippet. I'm sure that you have, like, you've told your story a gazillion times. So if you just want to give us a little blurb of it, I would love starting there.
1: Well, you know, it's always funny, like, where do I start? But, you know, I guess a- in relation to this, I, uh, I'll start with, how I, uh, when I was 27 years old, I found a lump in my upper or my lower armpit, my upper breast, and it turned out to be breast cancer, which was vastly, uh, unexpected. I uh, didn't have a huge family history. Didn't have a lot of concerns around me. Never really even realized or knew that 27 year olds got breast cancer. Um, But in the midst of all of that madness, as I was preparing for a wedding and climbing my, you know, professional ladder, trying to, you know, accelerate my career um, in the fashion industry, I just kind of stepped back and and looked at this world that I was living in as as a newly found breast cancer patient that wasn't a grandma's age, right? Like wasn't a grandma. And I just really felt like the world had sort of separated womanhood from patient life. And that was like two worlds that I didn't think needed to be separate. I felt like all I wanted to do was continue to be myself, continue to express myself and um, re-identify with this new body that I had after having my breasts removed as a part of my cancer um, treatment, choosing to rebuild them, going through chemotherapy. I was in and out of medical menopause, not once, but twice, I'll be lucky if I get to do it once naturally. And just all of these emotional, physical, mental changes I was constantly going through. But all of that really did end up leading me to creating Ana Ono, which uh, is just my baby and I love her so, so much. And uh, we call Ana Ona boob inclusive. Uh, and the reason that we say that is because, you know, it's not just about the, the skin tones and color shade bands or about the sizes that you carry. It's if your customer has any breasts at all. Mm-hmm. So we say two boobs, one boob, no boobs or new boobs. We have you supported.
0: I love that so much. Um, it cracks me up because I giggle each time I tell anyone about your company because that's what I, that's the way I explain it. I'm like, she has filled this void that's been there. And uh, and it's so funny that like, why did it take so long for someone to realize? But I think it took someone in your case that the unexpected 27 year old, you, like you said, that's a time whenever that just was unheard of. And I think that most people would assume that, you know, the journey with breast, breast cancer it, it might last a couple of years or so, but yours went on a long time. How many years were you in treatment? Yeah, I mean, I, that is the most common misconception
1: is that breast cancer stops when the chemo stops. And that's not the case for many of us living with breast cancer. Um, breast cancer comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. It has many different versions of, of diagnoses. There's a lot of subtypes, which is amazing that we've been able to identify so many and we continue to identify them. But the realities are, is that, you know, there's some diagnosis called triple negative breast cancer that may be treated with just a surgery or chemotherapy or radiation and then nothing else. Um, there's other sur- or there's other subtypes called HER2, which is a subtype I had that required an additional year of therapy um, to continue on beyond the chemo, uh, that was very targeted to that protein. And then there's another type that's driven by hormones. Um, so if you can have and, and I had both the hormone driven and the HER2 driven. So what that means is if you are premenopausal, your treatment can last up to 10 years following your diagnosis. Um, and I was on my treatment therapy for eight and a half years. And then I decided, and I chose to take myself off of the medications because they were affecting my quality of life too much. And um, I had to make a very personal, difficult, and tough choice to decide to live my life fully or to live my life continuing with these meds. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a chance that you take as a cancer patient, but you also, you've got to feel good about the days that you have left to spend.
0: Mhm. That's such a good point because in all of it and even having an extraordinary case, you know, and you are leaning on so much guidance from your doctors, from the professionals, but you still have a choice. You still get to make the right choice for you. And tell me, okay, I, I love on your website which is com. and of course we'll link that out, but I love the timeline. I like being able to see how things played out and uh and you do it in such a simplistic way which is just oh, you're talking my language. (laughs) So (laughs) I love it that you have like the timeline there. And I'm just wondering, you know, as you're going through all this, you realize that you're literally searching for a bra. And what was you you think about, I'm guessing you had hair loss, you know, you had all the things that are expected for chemo, but did you ever expect that you just wouldn't be able to find a bra? What did that look like? How did this even come out? Like how did the, the need come out for you in your story? you know that that is like the shock factor
1: of of sort of all of this is that i i really lean into this position that you don't know what you don't know right and and as a 27 year old that was never introduced to another young woman with breast cancer i had nobody to associate to i was diagnosed in the era of 2010 like pre instagram tiktok like social platforms were actually for your own social life not for a public social life like friends on Facebook were actually legitimately your friends. Um, and you know, it was a really, really different era, um, in time digitally. So I was really isolated and alone trying to figure out so much of this without having somebody to lean on. And yeah, there, there's things that a cancer patient can expect, even though you don't know what to expect, you can expect like losing your hair during chemotherapy. Um, like, you know, going through radiation therapy and understanding that your skin might burn, you might not realize or recognize all of the side effects that all the medications give you. But when I opted for breast reconstruction after removing my breasts, um, because of the way my cancer was reacting, I I sort of just assumed this space was going to be like, okay, I had friends with boob jobs and I was like, they seem fine. Like they're living happy lives. Like what's going to be the big deal. If I have implants, uh, I couldn't have been so wrong, right? Like breast cancer is not a boot job. It is something completely different with the mastectomy and the surgery and the reconstruction, all of the additional surgeries you have to have throughout a lifetime. But I didn't really think that my body was going to change so dramatically. I mean, I kind of, there's a phase in breast reconstruction that they uh, say it's the expanding phase, and what happens is, is, that after the breast tissue is removed as part of the mastectomy process, an expander is put underneath the skin to help re-expand the muscles and the skin to accommodate the breast reconstruction that comes later on. So in 2010, we were using these things, these square expanders. So I would call them my SpongeBob square boobs. <laughs> I called them my Lego tits. It was like literally building blocks on my body. I understood how a square peg did not fit into a round hole, right? I understood why my square expanders (laughs) were not fitting into the round cups of a bra. That made sense to me, but what didn't make sense was after I got the implants. So now I went from round to round. It was now apples to oranges Mm. because the implants, they don't move around like old breast tissue does. They're literally adhered and stuck to your chest. So like, the old like scoop, scoop and lift trick that like so many of our mothers taught us when we put on our first bras does not exist in our world. So it was like, if the bra didn't fit, I couldn't wear underwires. I couldn't wear molded cuffs. I couldn't wear so much of what was in the traditional market. So all I was really left with was a sports bra. Well, after I'm wearing a sports bra every day and as a 27 year old, I was not privileged enough to stay home and recover from my cancer. I was at work every single day. I was at work The day after my chemo appointments, it was just the way I had to live or I wouldn't have been able to pay my bills. So I'm going in and out of my work meetings in and out of, you know, the boardroom. And all I'm trying to do is like consciously hide these like hot pink and neon green and bright yellow sports bra straps, like thinking like, Oh my God, everybody's looking at me. Like, I'm so lazy. Like I couldn't even change my clothes after the gym. What am I doing at work? Like it's way too casual fast forward, like after COVID, who cares, but this right. is not how we were living back then. So I was just, you know, I, I became very frumpy and like my clothes were like really big. And I was trying to just like mask and cover everything that was happening underneath. Um, there were even times I couldn't, you know, I almost didn't even look in the mirror for an entire year. Cause I could not see that person and that thing that was looking back at me. So there's just like, this, all of this after a math, And it was just so, so, so connected, but I never really connected the dots until I literally woke up in the middle of the night with a hot flash, not a joke, actual story. And it just like hit me like a lightning bolt. I was like, I've got to do something about my underwear. Like, The reason why I feel bad about myself, the reason why I don't have any body confidence, the reason why I can't self-identify right now is because I can't express myself because I'm being forced to dress and wear things that I would not normally or typically wear. And that's when it really dawned on me. I was like, I have to do better. I have to make a better bra. And here we are.
0: Wow. Okay. (laughs) I have to ask you about your experience in the fashion industry, but first, I just want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, your story, when you were in it, incredibly hard, like so incredibly hard and lonely. I mean, you think about every emotional, I can't imagine what you went through, but here on the end where you can look back and I just, I I do love your humor. I love how you can take the story and what is really a, you know, hard and even painful story at times. You just have a way of making it okay for everyone else to talk about. Yeah. You know, you, you offer this level of comfort to a really hard situation. And I just want to let you know that I appreciate that for me who just feels like, you know, it's, it was, it's for me, breast cancer has been, uh, feeling, it felt like it was one of those walking on eggshell kind of moments. Like, what do I say? What don't I say? You know, and we did talk a lot about, about that in the beauty construct series, but, um, you just made it easy to talk about. And I just, I appreciate that so much. Um, tell me about what you were doing in the fashion industry that gave you the know-how to say, well, I can do this.
1: Oh, wow. Well, like, I mean, d- designing clothing is in my blood. I can literally say that because I started designing and making clothes when I was eight years old. Um, it's been a passion of mine for a lifetime, Um, It did not come up overnight. I, my, I was taught how to sew by like a master seamstress, which was my grandmother. Um, My, my mother also spent a lot of time sewing with me and, and teaching me how to cut the patterns and put the patterns together. And I just, every weekend, my, my mom has binders upon binders, why she won't throw these things away, but she'll just keep them forever is like all of my looks, you know, they came in every color of the Crayola you know, colored pencil box. I have like yellow dresses that come in green and purple and blue. (laughs) It's it's very embarrassing. but um, (laughs) And endearing. Yeah, sure. Maybe one day those will will resurface um, out in the world. But uh, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, um, which was an incredible experience. And then from there, I I, uh, jetted myself into New York City. And I spent a huge part of my career um, in fashion in New York. I worked for a high fashion company where you know, there's been looks on the red carpet and Oscars and magazines, and I traveled all around the world making clothing. It was really, really special. I kind of say that's where I went to school, and um, and then I I was also a VP of product development for an accessories company where I was also traveling around the world making products, um, managing accounts for major massive retailers here in the U.S. and and I just you know I, I'm I'm so 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 lucky that my true, honest passion as a human has turned into my job and my career. Mm -hmm. I'm even more lucky that I've been able to start a business because of that skill and that passion. And, um, and it really is, I think what sets Ana Ono apart in a lot of ways is that, you know, making product, um, especially clothing, especially lingerie is outrageously difficult. And, um, you know, we, we hope to not make it look difficult on the front end, but in the back end, there's a lot of moving pieces, um, but I live, eat and breathe it. So I'm, I, I feel like for me being able to have this opportunity to do what I love and do it as my own business is just like, it was my little eight-year-old's childhood dream was to get here one day. And
0: I, I'm very lucky that I get to do this in my lifetime. That's incredible. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when you get to wake up and do what you love, that's that's such a gift. Um, I'm sure I've said it on the podcast before, but I remember either, maybe it was in high school, maybe it was in college, maybe it was both. But I remember once or twice hearing that only like a small percentage, like maybe less than 20% of the people in the world wake up loving what they get to do in the morning. And so from a very early age, I was like, well, I want to do that. (laughs) <laughs> and it's funny because yeah. that has changed so much in the past, well, since I've started working, like since I was uh early in my 20s. And so it's it's so funny how life takes you through different paths to figure out what you're gonna be doing. And but when you finally land and you hit and you're like, this is it. This is the thing that I, I wake up every single day and I'm excited that I get to do it. And that's just awesome. Um like you know, we we work with a lot of women in the collective that are every everyone from like the dreamer state that has a passion, a calling on their heart that's like, I've got to go do this to the person who has an established scaling business. And we just work to give them tools and resources and shortcuts to be able to help them along their journey. and um And I love being able to highlight stories like yours. And so I'm really wondering when you were looking at just starting this. I mean, I'm guessing you just started with the the sketching it out. What does it look like? I mean, how? What did the beginning, those first steps, look like for you? Was it scary, or was it a? I, I've just got to do this, and you would just put your head down and worked.
1: Yeah, I, I often feel like my answer to this question is not a fair one, um, mostly because as a fashion designer, I think that we are innately gritty, insane. And we'll do anything we need to do to bring our clothing into the public eye. Like we just, you know, I I never started my official online before, but in some ways I was always selling my own products, right. My own designs and my own, uh, whether I made them at home or whether somebody had me like make them a special dress for a special event. So making, coming up with the concept was the easy part for me. Um, a lot of times that's the more, the most difficult part. Right. But I think. What I really step back and I, and the advice I give when you're when you're kicking off is is know what you want and where you're going to a certain extent, but not so it debilitates you. I think that for me, my position was is that this these bras or a bra, I didn't know what the answer was when I first started, was needed with or without a business. I was going to do whatever I needed to do to bring a better bra to the people like me. So I initially thought that designing a bra was going to be easy, that I would come home after my career in the evening or on the weekends. And I would sew whatever orders came on Etsy, right? Because like Etsy was the hot new like creator mm-hmm. marketplace.
0: It was actually creators. like. Is that, that where you started? Was Etsy? That's where I started.
1: I started awesome. with my first bra sales on Etsy. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I, I wasn't sewing. I wasn't sewing them myself because it turned out to be way too hard to sew myself and too much time. So I did have a little factory that made me very small lots, and I sold them on Etsy. Well, that only lasted like a few months, and I launched my own website because it was it was just a nice reaction, and I thought to myself, and e commerce was just coming to the forefront, like. It was not well known to like have your own e-commerce site in 2010. I think like maybe Macy's was online. Nordstrom's was online. I'm pretty sure Amazon was pretty much still selling books. Mm -hmm. So like, if you weren't in stores, you weren't selling your product. So then I was kind of like, okay, why don't I just launch a website? I can't find anything on the internet. Let me just launch a website. Maybe some people can find me by by finding my website. So... I say all of that to say like, know where you're going, but I talk out of the other side of my mouth to say, really look at a business plan. It does not have to be some outrageous multiple Excel page document, but give yourself the week or the month, not anymore more than that. If you cannot solve your problem for your business in one week to one month, you probably shouldn't start it. But give yourself that time, step back and say, who is my market? Who is my competition? What is my differentiation? And how am I going to distribute? Because if you can answer those four simple questions that are not really that simple, but it gives you a pathway and a channel to how you're going to execute your business, then you can actually say, is this a project, a hobby, or a business? Because numbers do matter. You have to make money in order to operate. I would have done mine for free. I would have. I would have just paid for my time on Etsy because that's how much it meant to me. That's how much passion I had behind it. But that's not everybody's answer, right? That's not everybody's solution. So if you can really look at those four columns and say to yourself, when you step away from that, I have an opportunity here. And that opportunity can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Do you want to have a service industry business that makes you half a million dollars a year because you want to pay yourself 150 grand? Maybe. Do you want to have a consumer product business that's the next big whatever? Maybe. Or do you want to, you know, have a a small business, five to $10 million a year? You have 15 or 20 employees and you have your lifestyle for how you want to do that. Like everybody's got their own answer. Not everything's a moonshot. Mm -hmm. So determining and understanding what is it that you want and what is it that your business can offer. Those are two very in sync conversations that you have to have with yourself before you take the
0: plunge and go all in. Yeah, that is, I love that you just put it so succinctly because to me, those exact things, those are your sounding board. Mm -hmm. And like you said, if you can't come up with it relatively quickly, like it's maybe an idea to put down and move on to something else. But then also it gives you the clarity of figuring out, like, is this a side gig or is this something I'm really going to pursue? So I love that you touched on that. Hey, I have to fill you in. Something pretty great has been bubbling up over the past few months. I have partnered with my friend Jess to create The Collective. Like so many of you, it hit me hard one day that as much as I love everything that I'm working on and building, I was a little bit lonely. And I've always been a really social and outgoing person, so that feeling was a little bit strange. But after I had had my head down, working hard, raising a busy family, and of course the shocks of COVID and all the aftershocks of COVID, I just woke up one day and realized that I craved to be around more women who were doing and dreaming like me. And with the response we've had so far, we realize that we're on to something pretty great. So I would imagine that with your sometimes crazy, or maybe all the time crazy life, that The Collective could be a huge help to you too. You still have time to take advantage of the premium pricing we're offering right now. And we have some incredible masterclasses coming up very soon. So go visit insidethecollective.com so you can get more details on how it all works. And we've also made it very easy for you to click and join there. We just really want to help you because we believe that you are made for more and we want to help you step out of the overwhelm and into your purpose. Whenever you were starting out, I'm sure that you've had to start fundraising on different levels. How was the idea received? Was it a no-brainer or did you have some, some convincing to do?
1: Oh my gosh, this like takes me back because this is like, <laughs> so I created Anna Ono Ono uh, at the beginning of 2011. So it's 2022. It's been 11 years for us um, since idea to, to conception sort of business. But when I first started Ana Ono, if I talked to a patient, grand slam, tears, hugs, happiness, everything. Oh my God, please, as soon as you launch, let me know. I need five of them. I need 10 of them. I need everything. It was like an absolute grand slam. Then I would talk to somebody who wasn't affected by breast cancer and they would say, "Mm, well, I'm kind of confused. So are you going to make custom bras? I'm like, no. And then they're like, but you know, that was just one question. Are there enough people that want to wear bras after breast cancer? I'm confused. Yeah. There's many that want and need to wear bras after breast cancer. And then the the, the the best one was, um, or one of my favorites was, I don't know why a woman without breasts would want to wear a bra. And I was getting these questions constantly. And I thought what was really interesting about this was that we had a horrible misunderstanding as to what breast cancer was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We saw the happy, cheery, happy, go lucky surviving typically older white women patients that were slathered and pink paraphernalia, tutus, feather boas, you know, hair bands, jumping and cheering up and down that like they've survived breast cancer. Mm -hmm. I, to this date have like never had that emotion inside of me that has like made me happy that I had breast cancer, like not the right message. But the problem was, is that we were masking politically and through marketing, the, the lens of a marketing channel, we were masking what we were gaslighting, really all of what breast cancer patients actually go through, because this disease is not just mental. This disease is incredibly physical. I mean, we have to remember that we are amputating an intimate part of our body off removing our breasts in order to save our lives. That is not an easy decision for anybody. It doesn't, that's not an easy decision, no matter how aggressive your breast cancer is. It's a very difficult decision to make because they're your breasts. And yes, can we live without them? Yes, but do we want to? I would argue probably not in most cases, right? Mm-hmm. So I really had to take on two different channels when I created on Ono. I had to support and develop a new product category for this customer because it literally didn't exist. Bras for breast reconstruction did not exist. Some people argue that we're the first mastectomy bra sold on the internet even, which is crazy. But then the second channel was informing and educating people about what breast cancer was. And, And I ended up realizing I have to tell a story and build a brand, but I also have to educate and inform. And that's a very heavy lift for a tiny, itsy-bitsy
0: small business, especially when you're starting. Right. Absolutely. I, you know, obviously there is that education factor and you're going through and you're just trying to people, people who are clueless, you know, I would imagine like um, the, the venture capitalist, whoever you were going to visit with that had those questions that just left me sitting here with my jaw dropped open (laughs) that they would even ask those questions, Mm -hmm. but I guess it happens, but you know, you realize like, golly, this is not just education. It is breaking that marketing like mold that's been set up. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. It's what everyone has been coached into believing what breast cancer is and being able to get real stories like yours. And I love that. I think that whenever you launched, you launched with stories. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, to
1: me, uh, you know, everybody asks us, how are you so inclusive? How are you so diverse? And I'm, I'm shocked every time I get that question because it's like cancer does not discriminate Mm -hmm. and it affects all of us, the young, the old, different racial backgrounds, different social economic backgrounds, different levels of wealth. It doesn't, it has no barrier to who it's going to affect. We know that one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer a year. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as I was breaking down this barrier, the biggest piece that really impacted me was when I was trying to find a bra. I was being delivered all of this, like these online images of a mastectomy bra shot on a beautiful model that had incredibly gorgeous breasts with healthy cleavage. And I thought to myself, well, isn't that a slap in the face? Mm -hmm. Like here you are, like, you don't have any nipples anymore. You don't have any breasts, but I'm going to tell you this bra works on you because it works on the body that you used to have. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I was so confused by this. I was just like, this is such a distraction and like, who's ever making these bras are so outrageously out of touch to who they serve. Mm -hmm. And so In my mind, I was like, I can't tell, I can't gain the trust or tell the story of why my bras are different. If I go and I shoot them on a bunch of paid models who have perfect bodies, when my customers may have one breast up here and one down to the other side, like, you know, like one might be higher, one might be lower, one might not be there at all. There might be a natural breast that might be a B or C or a D cup that's then, you know, got a flat side maybe that person wants to wear a breast form. Maybe they don't like, why are we not just accepting our bodies Mm -hmm. and our new chests and the way that they have come back to us and being allowed to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I thought the only way that we can teach and appreciate and inform about this is to empower the people that are living with these bodies. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I reach out to my network of young survivors here in Philadelphia, I was like, so friends, (laughs) does anybody want to take their shirts off in front of a camera (laughs) Just saying, and you know, that's a hard thing. It's a really, really hard thing for these patient models, our customers, like our models are our customers to say, sure. I'll take my shirt off. Some of these Customers, some of these patients, some of these beautiful models that we have had never taken their shirt off to anybody since their surgeries. And I'm getting that moment with them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's that's a part of like what it is that we do. It's like it, this impacts our lives so much beyond the bra. It's the story of what the bra can do for you. And that's where. I like to be able to make sure that like we have all body types represented. Um, That's why we have that incredible shop down menu. So like if you are somebody living with just one breast, you see the bras on somebody with just one breast, the, the, the good, the good fitting and the bad fitting, because I don't want you to have an expectation when you receive that bra that if there's a little bit of a wrinkle or there's a little bit of a pucker, I want to make sure that, you know, that that little bit of wrinkle and that little bit of pucker is there. Because you might want the support for your natural breast and you might be able to deal with it not being perfectly smooth, but you might want another bra that does fit perfectly smooth. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's about transparency and a, a gateway to having a real conversation. It's not a marketing ploy.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: it's, we're not just checking a box to say, we are doing all these things to market to different people. It is us. We are it. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't work any other way in our world.
0: Do you feel like that approach has helped you bridge that gap between, you know, reaching out to those patients and to those who could use your uh, your products, but also just, I don't know, seamlessly kind of works in that educational piece naturally. Is that was that an angle that you took or did it just kind of finally get there? Well, I felt like if you see it, you can
1: understand it when you don't see it, you can't understand it. So. If we're not showing what a woman's body may look like when there's a scar sticking out of the bra or that there's a radiation burn that is addressing her whole chest or there's a port scar where the the port is input for chemotherapy. I mean, you know, there's a third of our patients metastasize, which means that they will have breast cancer for the rest of their life. That means they are in treatment for the rest of their life. So, you know, some of our customers live with a full-time port. So it's important to show, well, that port is usually on your chest because that's how the drugs are administered. So like, is that bra strap going to hit it? Is it not going to hit it? Is it going to be protected? Can you hide it under the bra? Like all of these little details mean something to who we serve. And it's so important to not only represent it, but in some ways help to normalize it. Because when we're masking the destruction that we're going through and then we're pretending it doesn't exist. And, um, and, and that's not how I want to inspire and empower people. I don't want to hide the truth to make people feel better. I think education is power.
0: I totally agree. Um, I love how direct your company is. It's just, you know, it's you're calling a spade a spade. You're showing that like, all right, Hey, no, no, <laughs> let's educate you because you clearly have it all wrong, (laughs) you know, but doing it in such a caring way and, and being able to embrace these women who have reached, uh, gosh, when I think about the women agreeing to be a part of this marketing campaign, to get y'all off the ground and going and building, that's a whole nother level of vulnerability. I mean, that just, it astounds me. And it just, uh, I'm impressed. I'm totally impressed by them and by you and and by everything that you're doing. Okay. As we kind of finish up everything here, I want to talk about just, I don't know, just some specific things about your journey, just to see if that can help some of the ladies that are listening to us. And one of those is, you know, obviously there's hurdles. We've talked about a lot of them, but are there any that we haven't touched on that maybe it was an unexpected hurdle? I mean, other than people asking incredibly dumb questions about the potential, (laughs) interest of, uh, of customers for you, but is there anything else that just kind of caught you off guard that you didn't expect as you were going and, uh, and growing? Oh, well, I don't know how much time we have.
1: Um, but I think that there's so much unexpected. I mean, this was the first business I started myself. Uh, I had worked for very entrepreneurial-like businesses before. So I had been under founders for most of my career. And and I'm really happy that that exposure gave me an understanding. But it never really gave me the understanding of what it means to actually be the boss and actually be the CEO and actually be the person that has to make every decision day in and day out. But I, I, I think that that goes back a little bit to my earlier point. What do you want out of this because a a different answer to what is it that you want yields a different result and a different expectation. So when you think about things that were unexpected, I never expected because I'm a horribly beat up fashion designer that I would ever raise capital for my business. I just, I knew how designers did it and we are gritty and we do it. We start making clothes and then we start making more clothes. Then we start making more clothes. And one day you catch a break just like an actor or an actress that is in every B, C, D list position in a movie. And then all of a sudden they get the main role and they take off, right? Like that's what happens to fashion designers. Like one person walks on that red carpet with your star look, and now everybody knows your name, you know? So again, I was one of those beat up abused fashion designers. So I'm like used to this cycle. And then it was a little bit unexpected to me because honestly, so early in my, uh, creation of Ana Ono, I was being coached by mostly men because the only business leaders I really knew were men. Mm-hmm. So when I would call male number one and I would tell him my concept in my business and da da, da 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 I would be discouraged to continue going. I was discouraged to put more money into it. And all I was told was that um, I have too small of a market. And if I want a lifestyle business, it sounds like it would be okay, but it's probably going to be a hobby. I was told this for five years, at least. Wow. The difference was, was that hearing that made me work harder because my position was, you don't know, you don't know. And you have no association and you don't know. I'm going to prove you wrong because I'm kind of sick and twisted in that way as well. (laughs) So which I think you have to be maybe as an entrepreneur. I don't know. I'm starting to think it's a a trait, not a skill. Um, So this is what I was hearing over and over again. And then I got an opportunity to pitch to a room full of women. And it was this pitch competition for this group here in Philadelphia, um, the Allegiance of Women Entrepreneurs. And I had gotten all the way through the screening and I got to three companies that pitched on stage. And I was so nervous. It was my first pitch ever. I look back at these slides and I squeal. But the reality is, is like, I was at least talking to my people. And when I was talking to my people, I got off the stage and a handful of women said, you should scale this business. You have something here. Let me introduce you to X, Y, Z. And then the momentum started to say, well, what do you mean? You think I have a business? Because I've been told now for five years, I don't, but I kept forging forward. So like the expected versus unexpected, again, I was starting this business with or without the support of the world. I was starting it for my community, but then I got that validation from people that look like me, think like me, can associate to me. And I realized I have something here that is more impactful than what I even realize, and I know. And that's when I made my business plan for the record, just to loop it back around to earlier. And that's why I tell everybody to do it sooner. Because the whole point is, is that had I expected that moment to happen to me at some point in time, I maybe could have gotten here a little bit faster. But everything happens for a reason. Everything happens the way it's supposed to. I really, truly, honestly believe that. So I needed that really, I needed those tough years to make sure I really knew what I was going for and what I was really putting on the line for this business. Cause I have risked everything for this business up to my marriage, to my finances, to everything. Most things have repaired themselves now, 10 years later, but it doesn't mean that it was easy. It was very, very hard. You know, I have put everything I own, love and trust in making this business work. So mm-hmm. you got to know what you're sacrificing And for what reasons? And then maybe those unexpected moments aren't so unexpected.
0: That is so good. That is so great. Okay. I'm going to ask you kind of a direct question because, you know, if you look at your website, you look at your Instagram, which your Instagram is phenomenal, by the way. It's so great. I just, I love seeing the way that you showcase the women. It's just, it's so, it's so caring. It really is. Um, but when you look there, you look at your website, you look at the, the, the press that you've gotten, like it's, it's incredible. Would you consider yourself successful at this point? And where do you want to be? Like, what is your, (laughs) did I just ask
1: a totally inappropriate question? No, you asked a 100% appropriate question, (laughs) which I love. Would I consider myself successful? Um, not yet, but yes, in other ways, right? It's really, I'm really, first of all, I'm a self-proclaimed workaholic. There is no doubt I have been that way for my entire 20 years in this industry as a fashion designer. I, and that comes from the passion and love for what I do. I hold myself to incredibly high, difficult standards. So Talk to my therapist about it all the time, ladies, talk to your therapist, because I don't know why we build ourselves like this, but I don't celebrate the small wins. I really don't. I really focus on what I deem as my level of success. And I don't honestly even know what that answer is. So I am 100% setting myself to an unattainable standard because I don't even know my standard. All I know is that what I'm doing today is not enough. And it needs to be even more tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Not healthy, y'all. Not healthy. (laughs) But I say that openly and honestly because I've had successes, I've had wins, I've hit incredible milestones through my work and through the support of my amazing staff and the community. Um, And every time I hit one, I raise my bar just higher. So it's like, do I feel successful yet? I feel like I've started a successful business. I feel like I am successful as a person and as a human, but I also know there's so much more to go. I will i I will know I am successful. Let's just say it this way: that if I get to pull up a chair to these boardrooms and in these investment rooms, that I can help empower and fund other female or minority businesses. Because it is so hard. We do not get the same benefit of the doubt as our white male counterparts. We just don't. Whole nother episode. We just don't. And until we do, which I hope I see in my lifetime, I really, really do hope I see this in my lifetime. But all I know is that we don't, and the only way we do is by getting more of us, me, successful exit, successful founders, to that table to empower others like ourselves. Because there just isn't enough women out there supporting women. And that's the numbers aren't there. They're climbing. In my 10 years of doing this business, they're climbing, but they're still not there. So that to me will be a success. If I can take everything I've learned, everything I've been able to figure out, finances included, and put that into action to help the next
0: generation, then I will deem myself successful. Man. Blown away. I mean, you're talking my language on so many different levels. I mean, what we're creating with a collective is so completely, you talk about apples and oranges. It is it's so different, but the undertone is the same. It's what can we take from our experiences to pull it together and help propel other women forward in great ways and let them take those passions that they have. And, and I think that whenever you are a passionate driven woman who has found your thing that you're supposed to do, you know, yeah, you are going to kind of become that, that workaholic that probably needs more boundaries, (laughs) but it's, it's the, the strive is not strife. It's because it's the calling pulling you Right. And I think that is—it's uh, just I love hearing your story. I love the the whole uh, everything. I mean, I brag on you more than you have any idea. <laughs> oh, thank you, Amy. Having so much, I'm not going to cry. Oh no, I just—I really do. It's just being able to watching, get to know you has been um, just one of the honestly like one of the biggest perks of my year, and I've really enjoyed it. And I'm so glad to be able to showcase you and your story and. Gosh, I mean, I, we're we're figuring out new and different ways to kind of pull different people into the collective to be able to have more intimate conversations, kind of like what you're talking about. You know, uh, let's talk about the the struggles that are there for women and for minority businesses. Cause it is, it is another conversation and maybe hopefully in the months to come, there'll be an opportunity to maybe have you come and talk to our collective membership and, and let them get a little sneak peek into that and how to navigate it. You know, who's to say that you have to wait until you get to a certain point of your level of experience. Like right now you have so much wisdom to share mm-hmm. and, and I'm so glad you've shared so much of it here, but, um, yeah, we will totally be your guinea pig if you want to share more. <laughs> Listen, always, I feel like if, if I don't
1: share, then this knowledge and power is lost with me. You know, I think women feel too competitive with each other that we, we don't open up. And it's really, honestly, it's what holds us back. Can you imagine like sitting at a table with two of your colleagues, two female colleagues and saying, how much do you get paid a year?
0: Mm-mm, mm-mm.
1: Makes you cringe inside. You know what guys do? They sit down like, yo, dude, I'm getting paid this. I'm getting paid that. Oh, you're getting paid that? Oh, well, I'm going to go ask my boss for more money. Because they don't even think about it. But women say, well, what if I tell you? Or what if I'm getting paid less? Or like we start questioning ourselves, not the system, ourselves. Mm-hmm. But What if you sat down to your girlfriend and she says, I get paid 50. And you say, I get paid 75. And you're both in equal roles. That's how we get to equality. Mm-hmm. We push back. Or you sit down with your male counterpart and you say, well, how much are you getting paid? And they say 95. And then you have power to go in and get in to where it is that you need to do. Same thing with women-owned businesses. What are your revenues? How much money are you making? Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you, when I sit down with a woman, I'm saying, you don't have to tell me, but I want to ask, where are you in your business? Because if she says, I'm at $5 million, I'm like, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. Tell me how. Share with me what you've learned. Oh, you're at 20 million? Okay, well, I'm at 5. So, what was it like for you to get from 5 to 20? Because these are all very important milestones, and we shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed or scared to talk about our success. Because that helps you gauge who's around you and how you're going to leverage them. And and who's a, and then you're a million dollars? I'm a million dollars. What headaches are you having? What are your problems? How did you get past this hump? Did you have to deal with this? Because then you can associate and relate.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I I say always, if you can take the arm of the woman behind you and catapult her ahead of you, we're all winning because she reaches back then next and brings you back up and over. If we can keep doing that and empowering and impacting each other, we can actually win, but we can't
0: if we keep staying in our silos. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. And I love you're talking about having those open conversations because that's one of our goals for 2023 is we want to be able to develop the masterminds where you have the women who are building and scaling and who are just kind of a uh, they're just on a bit of a different level than those who are dreaming and starting out. There's just natural levels in business. And we want to take those women and we want to open up those conversations because yeah, that that connectivity right there, that's just what's going to like you said propel them forward. And I'll give you one more
1: perfect example before we wrap up, because I'm actually in several like entrepreneurial groups with massive major corporations in the United States. And it was very funny. I'm sitting here and I'm feeling so little. I'm like, my business is so small. I'm so little. I'm not as successful as everybody else. How did I get here? Right. I'm constantly questioning myself. And then I sit down with one of the men in the group and I say, oh, do you mind if I ask how much revenues you have? He told me at five times the amount of sales that he did. And because he sat there boasting with insane confidence, mm-hmm. outrageous stories, very very forward A type personality. I thought he was more successful than me. That moment was like when I realized sort of the difference between how we lead our businesses and how we are as humans and I just sat there and I'm like, oh. Isn't that interesting? So I say that because it, it can really make a
0: difference and you can help build some of your confidence in rooms like that. No kidding. That's a cool story. That's, an, that's incredible. And how many times do we find ourselves in, um, our perception of others? I've, I've, that's something I have been having go round and round in my head is just perception and reality. And that just is a theme that I just keep seeing over and over the past several months. And that's a perfect example of it. Well, you have developed something so beautiful and it's because you know who you are and who you, where your heart is and your passion to serve your people and beyond it's just it's absolutely amazing to watch and to see and i'm just thrilled to have the, the chance to get to know you and to be able to showcase you here because um just the level of care and love and support and encouragement that ana ono offers is um It is just such a light and I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm
1: pleased and and honored to be a part of this because I think when we can band together and a slogan at Ana Ono is that you're never alone. And honestly, it means just as much to me in my personal life as it does my professional life. Because if I didn't have an army of female entrepreneurs to call, to cry, laugh, and lean on, I would go crazy.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't we all? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we would. We literally would. <laughs> that is great. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you so much. And I hope we get to talk again really soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Goodness gracious. That was so much fun. Now I know that we talked about how the mission of Ana Ono is impact well beyond the bra, but y'all... We want to get you the goods. Dana is giving you a coupon code for 15% off all full-priced items. You're just going to use the code ITC15. That's ITC for Inside the Collective 15. And I'm going to list that code and a direct link for you in the show notes so that you can go and shop. Now, at the very least, I want you to go and peruse her website. It's anaono.com, A-N-A-O-N-O.com. Of course, that'll be in the show notes too. It is a great resource for all kinds of information and inspiration. Also, if you're looking for the right supportive gift for a friend or family member who could use some extra love right now, I'm going to include another special link for some great gifting options that Dana has on her website. Thank you again to Dana and all of our beautiful guests from the season. That is a wrap for our 50th episode and our third season. We will see you in the new year. And until then, take care. I hope you enjoy this episode because getting to share these women and their stories with you makes me incredibly happy. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss the next great episode. And if you really love listening to us a whole lot, please leave us a five-star rating and a quick review so that others can find us too. And are you on Instagram or Facebook? Awesome, because we are too. You can come find us at Inside.TheCollective. Don't forget the dot. (laughs) We really can't wait to meet you there. And if you ever end up scrolling the beautiful ideas on Pinterest like we do, you can also find us on Pinterest. Our website is insidethecollective.com and if you're looking for that one-stop shop that has it all like that's your ticket because you can literally get connected to everything there. We hope that you have plans to join the collective and for those of you already there, thanks for joining us. You are our people. And remember, we are building this with you because we created it for you. Until next time, be a light and live on purpose because you were made for more.